Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to The Book Pod with Corey Perkin, the fortnightly podcast that brings readers and writers together. Today we acknowledge the traditional owners of the Boon Oorang Nation where this podcast is produced and pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Today's episode of The Book Pod takes us into the kitchen and around the dining table. Welcome everybody, welcome to today's very special event. Our guide today is Julia Basutal Nishimura, the extraordinary Melbourne culinary talent who burst into our lives in 2017 with her first cookbook, Ostro, and who just a few weeks ago launched her third book, Around the Table, Delicious Food for Every Day. Julia, welcome to the book pod and thank you for your company today. Thank you for having me. So nice to be here. It's just lovely <laughs> to have you and both of us have in front of us a copy of your new gorgeous cookbook. Are you happy with the result? Because <laughs> <laughs> I know you're going to say it's gorgeous. I love it. I am. You know, it takes you know a good two years to kind of put it together and for it to come out into the world. So yeah, I do feel really proud of this one and I'm really happy I've seen it in people's kitchens already and it's a really good feeling. So your publisher's Plum, which yes. is a division of Pan Macmillan or Macmillan Australia, I think are the just wonderful cookbook publishers. They have a really strong aesthetic in how they promote and develop and produce their cookbooks. And I don't know about you, but I think <laughs> Australian food stylists and our cookbooks are the best in the world. Yeah, they're pretty amazing. And, you know, I've had the same team from the first book to, to now and I just – it's such a collaborative process and they really, like, respect the authors and, yeah, the team is incredible. I always say if it wasn't for them, it would be a Word document on my computer. <laughs> so, you know, from everyone to the, – from the editors to the stylists, it's incredible. Well, it's been an incredible ride for you, Julia. Ostro is now in its second edition but there were a number of reprints. <laughs> I remember this from my day as a bookshop owner when we would try and get stock and our Pan Macmillan rep would say, <laughs> oh, it's being reprinted. Is it, do you know how many oh, copies you've sold? I, oh, off the top of my head, I don't know. That's I should know that. But I know even with the second book, it went to reprint before it was publication date. So just on pre-orders, which is phenomenal, especially, you know, with COVID, I think everything was really uncertain. And even, yeah, this book's 
gone to reprint already which is it's just remarkable and you and as you said your second cookbook a year of simple family food it did it was also a bestseller and it did come out during the 2020 or was it 2021 2020 yeah 2020 COVID year and of course Melbourne was in lockdown Mm. but interestingly people were at home cooking and so perhaps actually your cookbook did come out in the right at the right time yeah I I think funnily enough it did yeah it got pushed back a little bit but um we were still in lockdown even when it got pushed back but you know I think cookbooks are really what got a lot of people through I mean it's what got me through <laughs> many people might not from particularly from interstate as well might not know your name you are a Melbourne cook and mm. you started your cooking journey well many years ago and we'll talk about that in a minute but you started with a blog which then became an Instagram account you have 113,000 <laughs> last count 113,000 followers and of course your recipes now regularly appear in magazines such as Good Weekend so your national profile is most definitely there and you are still young and you have I think just so many cookbooks and such a <laughs> fantastic future ahead of you. Thank you. But when you started your blog I think it was about 2013. Yeah. Did you imagine that one day it might become a cookbook? Was that your sort of writing journey? Is that where you wanted to go with it? I mean, you know, for me, I was in my early 20s. I had just come back from living in Italy and it was honestly just a little side thing that gave me pleasure and I never, ever imagined that it would be how it is today. And with the following and with actual physical cookbooks, like it really, it's a dream come true. And to have this job and to be able to produce beautiful cookbooks like this is incredible. You're a fantastic marketer too. and But also what I love about your social media presence and it permeates through your cookbooks as well is this strong sense of family and for me as a home cook, that translates into you can do it too. Mm. Certainly for my daughter, who is one of my daughters, who's a contemporary of yours Mm -hmm. uh, with with three kids, Mm. for her it's a go-to, it's a Bible because filled in your books are your children and your husband and the the mess of family (laughs) life and the mayhem and but the importance of eating well and yeah. having really great food. So, so what is it? What is the kind of the philosophy or, or mantra as you prepare these three cookbooks? Because yeah. the family is so strong for me. It is, and I think even with Ostro, you know, we've always shot the books at at my house. This one we did a bit of a half half, and we shot some of it at my beautiful friend's house. But I think it for me it was always really important for it to be approachable and for it to feel like yeah you can see yourself in in the food or you could see yourself cooking that it's for yeah for me cookbooks have always been not coffee table books they should be splattered and in the kitchen and so I wanted my books to be like that too and my in Austro especially you know the kitchen is was not fancy at all there was it was like a 1950s oven and tiny bench space and I wanted people to see that you know you don't need to have this hyper glamorized life to be able to cook beautiful food in fact some of the most beautiful food comes out of these really humble kitchens so Hallelujah, I say. (laughs) Who needs a marble bench top, really, to prepare and produce? But it is interesting thinking about the modern cook has so much access, don't we? We have have extraordinary websites like Mm taste.com.au is one mm -hmm. of my go-tos and also Epicurious. I know my daughter and her cohort always go to kidsspot.com.au and yet the joy of the cookbook for people like me, you know, love cooking, 
I can't get enough of them. Yeah. It's an obsession. When I had the bookshop, a lot of people would say, oh, I can't have another cookbook, <laughs> but I'll just take four of these. Yeah. <laughs> what is it about the cookbook as an object that sits in the kitchen and, as you say, is splattered and mm. smeared with the ingredients of the day? What is it? Why, why do people love cookbooks so much? Why do we treasure them? Yeah, I mean, I think they are magical. I mean, personally, growing up, cookbooks were like an escape for me, being able to read these beautiful words. And, you know, I know now we have obviously, yeah, the internet, but I think they do, they can sit together and we have different purposes for each of them. But for me, a cookbook, it just outlasts all of that. You know, you have a ribbon in the book and you can mark it and you can yeah, write your own notes on it. It just feels like it's yours now, like you you own it. That's yours in the kitchen and it does feel very like a, a stronger connection to the reader, I think, than a website. So you grew up in Adelaide and yeah. your parents Maltese and very str- that wonderful tradition, as you've told me about before when we've chatted about family and food being so connected. Were there cookbooks that did? Did your mum have cookbooks? Did you? What were the cookbooks of your her- of your heritage in your childhood? And what what are your first food memories? <laughs> I mean, growing up, the cookbooks weren't Maltese because my mum knew how to cook Maltese food. So there was no, there were no Maltese or like Mediterranean cookbooks. They were all, I suppose, like the Australian classics, like anything Woman's Weekly, Margaret Fulton. Fulton. (laughs) Um, How to do the perfect pav. Exactly. And all of those, yeah, very kind of nostalgic Australian cookbooks were what were in my mum's bookshelf. So we all think it was a brown covered Margaret Fulton. It had the yellow kind of outlines of pots and things on it. Yeah, they they were not, not so great in design. No. the old Australian cookbook <laughs> publishers in those days. But, you know, all the cookie recipes, all those kind of things are like women's weekly baking books, those kind of cookbooks. But, yeah, I, f- I feel like for me the strongest memories are always around food and growing up it was very centred around Maltese cooking. Did you have a big extended family? Yeah, my dad's one of seven, so that was a really large family and we had really big gatherings and I especially remember going to my auntie's house and she was always making ravioli, like the Maltese ravioli or we would have pastizzi and I spent a lot of time actually at the Maltese cultural centre, like at the club. My dad was the president of the Maltese club so we were there all the time. Tuesdays was, I think it was bingo and we would always go but there would always be an amazing lunch so the sh- I would always go into the kitchen and I always wanted to see what the chef was cooking and it was things like rabbit stew or Maltese baked potatoes yeah just really classic that like, stuffed squid all those beautiful Mediterranean dishes which yeah are in Malta and yeah you've reminded me of the role of clubland actually in our culinary (laughs) culture my my stepfather was Greek and Mm. and he he loved to cook but he didn't do it very often but my introduction to Greek food was really through visiting him they lived in Sydney at the time and there's a big Greek culture of club culture and on a Friday and Saturday night we would go there for the most amazing meals. It's incredible. And that was my first introduction. We knew about souvlaki but to take take somebody of 19, 20, (laughs) 21 years of age into a new zone, it was, they were were really important I think to so many of us introducing us to a new way of Definitely and I think for Maltese people I mean, you know, Malta's particular because it was part of the Commonwealth so everybody did speak English so it wasn't as maybe strong as say the Italian clubs where it was very you know a lot of yeah just people who wanted to connect with that culture and language and keep that and it was that with Maltese as well but 
everyone spoke English as well, but the Maltese was very strong and the food was amazing. There was a Maltese brass band and it'd be Christmas time, New Year's Eve, like we were always there. And so that was a really big part of my growing up as well and my kind of access to that authentic Maltese experience, yeah. So what about your kitchen memories? Were you uh, were you one of those kids who stood beside mum and <laughs> mum or dad and, and cooked and helped and learned? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I remember even – I must have been only three or four, but just sitting on the back step potting broad beans with my grandma or we lived near the beach and we would go down to the, the beach to collect seawater to make ricotta – you know, I just was obsessed with food. I was always cooking with my mum. I always wanted to kind of be involved in every process. Um, I even remember watching ABC Play School and begging her to call up ABC and re- request this recipe that I'd seen them cook on Play School. <laughs> and she did and they sent it and, like, a, you know, type well, written. Noni or somebody like that. <laughs> exactly. It was called Apple Snow. Oh, Fantastic. And I just Good on you, ABC Publicity <laughs> yeah. Department, for answering Julia's call. In 1990. <laughs> yeah, I just, for me, I, yeah, that was, you know, my kind of thing that I loved from a very, very young age. So going through school and then you moved at some stage. How old were you when you moved to Victoria? Um, I was 16. So was, yeah. was a food career an option? I mean, I definitely was really interested in it. I did food tech and hospitality all through high school to year 12 so I was always really passionate about it and I was really good at it like I loved it it was fun and it was yeah really enjoyable and I did by the end of year 12 I think I did want to be a chef that was kind of the idea but it also felt very intimidating it was very you know male dominated industry and didn't seem I had done some work experience throughout high school in restaurants and I wasn't super convinced that it was the lifestyle I wanted and that's the whole point of work experience isn't yeah. it really yeah exactly it worked yeah it did but I, so I took a year off um I went to Italy went to Europe and did the kind of 18 countries in three months kind of thing as you as you did back then and then I just yeah took a year off and worked in a butcher actually I saved money and then moved to Melbourne moved back to Melbourne and yeah did an arts degree in the end so I wasn't sure what I wanted to do so I studied politics and Italian in an arts degree and through that I lived in Italy so I would go for exchange or study abroad and then I was an au pair and I just fell in love with everything about Italy. So what was it that drew you and draws you still to Italy? Because Italian food is such, <laughs> and Japanese through yeah. your husband, we'll talk about that in a moment, but Italian food is so strong in your yeah. cooking. What is it about Italy that you loved? I just, it just feels so, I feel so light when I'm there. I feel this sense of pure joy and this, this it's just such a, I don't know, everything feels like a celebration. You know, every meal, every little thing, you know, your morning coffee, all the rituals. I just was so drawn to the way of life. And I mean, I was living in Southern Tuscany in the countryside. It was quite idyllic. But yeah, just the food, the people, everything, everything just felt so colourful and so alive. And I yeah, still love Italy. It's, you know, just feels like home. You're listening to The Book Pod, an audio community that brings writers and readers together. You know, when you go overseas and you come back determined to bring some of that, whether it's mm. getting up early and having a swim every morning or whether, you know, whatever it is, there's always an intention, isn't there? Yeah. I think when you when you travel, I've got to bring a piece of mm. that back home. And for me, when I was a young mother and, and went to Italy, 
I had a complete rethink about the way I should feed my kids and the way mm. I should shop yeah. instead of doing the weekly supermarket yeah. shopping. So being fortunate enough to spend a little bit of time, more than a few days in one particular area, I noticed that mostly women <laughs> um, were shopping every morning yeah. just enough for that night's totally. meal. They weren't stocking up, they weren't pre-planning yeah. and they were buying seasonally. Totally. And that was the one thing that I brought home yeah. on that trip that I still have. It's very important in your style of cooking, isn't it? Yeah, and that was completely defined by Italy, by my time in Italy, that exact kind of thing of really seeing what is good on the day, trusting the people you're buying things from and just, you know, not yeah, not looking too far ahead, just enjoying the day, cooking what is in season, what you feel like. This is what this book a lot is about. It's about mood and it's about cooking, you know, what you feel like and what makes you feel good in that moment. Yeah, Italy was amazing for that because I think growing up, you know, there was this emphasis on food and family coming together, but also there was, you know, this need for my mum to feed three kids and buying in bulk and, you know, it was a very different experience to what it was in Italy. So so did you have any training when you were in Italy? Did you do any cooking courses or anything like that? No, no. I just – so one time I was just there at holiday, another time I was there studying Italian and then, yeah, I lived with a family though, which I feel like was pretty good training. <laughs> So I was meant to, it was my job to cook lunch every day for when the kids came back from from school and, you know, all the workers took a, a break. So I would make lunch and, yeah, that was pretty good training. <laughs> it was like four restaurant critics sitting there. <laughs> but I, I can no, imagine. It was, it was great, yeah. So, Julia, you come, you come back to Melbourne and you've had experiences with Italy and you're passionate about food. What do you do then? You can't just start a blog and live off that. No, gosh, no. (laughs) And I think in the beginning it was probably just my mum reading it. (laughs) So definitely not. My plan was to go back to Italy. Like I was just so determined and I have EU citizenship so I could go and I thought I'm going to go teach English over there. Like that's a great way to stay there and work. But then I ended up someone suggested they're like why don't you teach Italian here like your Italian's so good you should teach here so I ended up doing my master's in teaching so I studied another two years and did high school teaching yeah my master's but ended up teaching Italian in primary school so at the end of that I yeah got a job as an Italian teacher and just kept Austria was on the side always just kind of on the weekends or in the evenings I would cook and write. So what was the catalyst to take Austro to something bigger and better and, and a cookbook indeed? Yeah, I mean, I feel like all of these things have kind of happened so organically and weren't often driven by me per se, like knocking on people's doors, which I've been so grateful for. Yeah, Austro just started getting a bit of traction and getting a bit of publicity and with social media, you know, Instagram kind of started um, and I started getting a bit of a following and I just kept going with it and I met my publisher at the farmer's market in Carlton (laughs) Um, and she said, I love your recipes. Like, let's have a chat. And that was the turning point really. That's when I was like, okay, this is, there's a possibility that this could be something, yeah, really exciting. Let's talk about your Japanese born husband, Nori. How did, (laughs) how did you, how did you guys meet? And tell me about the influence that his culture has had on your cooking. Yeah. Yeah. We had, we met in Fitzroy (laughs) in Melbourne. Um, He was a chef in a Japanese restaurant where my housemate was working at the time. So very young, early 20s. And yeah, she introduced me to him and we kind of just hit it off and 
we both love tennis. He's a tennis teacher now. Yeah, so we kind of bonded over that and, that, yeah, the rest is history really with, with that. But, uh, we, yeah, we got married. We got two kids. But his influence has been, I mean, all of the Japanese recipes in the book are influenced by him. So what do you love about Japanese cuisine? I mean, I think I love the same things about Japanese that I love about Italian. There's that focus on seasonality, simplicity, you know, not overthinking things, not doing too much. It's about really just sharing you know, delicious food and, and enjoying the moment and, you know, savouring savoring the meal, I think. Yeah, I think any, even more so with Japanese food. Like the seasons are so fleeting and there's so much kind of symbolism with food and, yeah, it's important. Sharing meals is really important. Tell me about uh, Around the Table, the new cookbook, and there are Japanese-inspired recipes mm. in this as well. And you said before that you want this book to have something that we can all go to when mm. we, whatever mood we are yeah. in. But what was your guiding light with this particular, this third book? Yeah, I think, you know, it, I, I wrote it during lockdown. So I wrote it in 2020. <laughs> was it 2020, 2021? Oh. Maybe, I can't even remember. <laughs> Years of lockdown. <laughs> no, I wrote it, well, yeah, I wrote it in 2021. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah, I, I started working on it and I started really feeling like everyone, how everyone was feeling that kind of really or missing being able to share a meal with friends and family and how much joy it does bring us. And, you know, I always knew that and I always write about it, but it kind of really came to the forefront. So I wanted to create a book that kind of encapsulated how I feel about cooking and and sectioning it in a way that does show that kind of nuance that it's about the seasons, but it's also about spending time with someone in the kitchen. There's a chapter called Side by Side, which is all about cooking with Nori. You know, food and memories. There's chapters about you know, a Northern Italian winter, but then there's also midweek saviours, you know, things that we just go to every time. So it really did show that nuance and yeah, how I think about food. So that was kind of the inspiration behind it and it kind of just flowed. From and that. lots of beautiful cakes, which you're so yeah. well known for and I love <laughs> cooking your cakes. Would you do us the honour of reading a little bit from Around the Table? Of course, of course. We would love that. <laughs> so from the introduction, yeah, just talking about how, how I think about food, I suppose. So a midweek meal thrown together to feed hungry mouths, a bowl of warming soup on a cold day or a quick refreshing salad when it's too hot to cook. Even the simplest things over time attach themselves to memories and feelings which only get stronger as you come around the table day after day. I've always loved finding the small joys in even smaller tasks, rolling meatballs one by one or rubbing butter into flour and thinking of nothing else in that moment. And it's the little things that often give me the greatest pleasure. Eating roasted fruits still warm with double cream, the clinking of vongole in the pan as you shake them with the spaghetti, a slice of homemade cake with coffee, the first peach of the season and the last tomato before the weather turns cold. Something as simple as bread with tomato paste and olive oil can connect you to generations and generations of family who have eaten the same thing before you. Beautiful. Yum. (laughs) I'm ready to eat now. That's beautiful. And again, like your other cookbooks, there's a strong sense of family. Your two little boys, Haruki and Yukido, uh, feature quite prominently in the book, which is gorgeous. (laughs) How's becoming a mother, uh, indeed, has it changed Mm. your approach to cooking yeah definitely I mean I think Ostro I wrote that when Harry was really young so I actually had you know maybe more time you know when they're so little you can actually sometimes get a lot done 
But um, there's a lot of fresh pasta in Austria. And I mean, Austria felt a little bit like a retrospective almost of a lot of the things I'd learned in Italy. So before I had kids. So there was a lot of fresh pasta. There was a lot of, yeah, maybe still simple, of course, but things that were maybe a bit more time consuming. So I do think as you know, life gets a little bit busier and now I've got two two kids. Um, yeah, I think there is even more of an emphasis on simplicity. Yeah, approachable approachable cooking. Julia, it, let's talk about Instagram and food. <laughs> it, it, I said before that it, nothing beats the, the cookbook in front of you, the actual mm. object. But I am so inspired so often by and I, and I don't follow food porn, and I hate that. I hate that term. I don't follow a lot of food accounts, but I'm so inspired when just in the middle of the day I come across, for example, something that you might have posted, and it really triggers off such a, a need to cook that and interest in what you've cooked, and you you delve further into the recipe or indeed go and buy the book. How have you worked it? What's your view of Instagram and food, and how what what impact has it had? For yeah. people like you, I mean, it's been so pivotal. Pivotal from you know, I, I don't know if I would have cookbooks if it wasn't for the social media presence. Because you know, I didn't have a restaurant, I wasn't on TV, so it has been such a stepping stone for me. I think you know, it is a bit of a beast as well, though. You know, it can be very time consuming, and it can sometimes feel yeah overwhelming. To be honest, there's a lot out there and you feel like you have to be putting stuff out all the time and sometimes you just need a break but especially when you're writing books you know you put a lot of effort into that and it's a lot to juggle but overall I agree it's can be really inspiring and it's been such an amazing way to connect with other authors readers and yeah I, I love it like I couldn't live without it, <laughs> do, you, do you have a couple of favorites you can recommend a couple of accounts that we could follow yeah I mean I love like New York Times cooking that's a I great love one the New York Times they're cooking. really great um I love like Daniel Alvarez in in Sydney she's awesome Hedy McKinnon another fellow plum author oh that's there's so many I have to write, write a list for yeah. <laughs> my well, if anybody wants to follow if you if you're not on Julia's account get on it immediately and it's just called Julia Ostro Julia Ostro yeah. yeah and you will you'll find posts so frequently pretty yeah. much every day it's amazing yeah and I think I mean for me it's always just so unplanned you know it's it is really just what I'm doing or eating or cooking and it is it is nice it is a nice way to kind of share that with with people and I feel like I do have a really loyal and amazing community so very very lucky and in this cookbook, what do you have a favorite recipe? Oh, Is there gosh. a favorite? You know, and I was like, she's, she's my children, my favorite child. I I, actually, I just turned to a page, and it's the weeknight lemon chicken, which a lot of people have said they've cooked and loved. And I it think is, I think we're going to do this on the weekend. It's actually, delicious. watch this space. We might this I might space. post it on Corey's reading. I think it's hard to pick. I do have like some favorite chapters. I reckon like the heading indoors one, which is all about kind of the end of summer and autumn. But it's yeah, I love it all. Like I love I love all the, the photography is beautiful. <laughs> it's out, outstandingly good. It's a wonderful production, and I urge everybody to go and buy a copy of Around the Table. You won't be disappointed. Before we end. The question that we ask all our gang who come on our podcast is, if you were on the desert island, well, you wouldn't have the pots and pans in the kitchen, but, but we'll, we'll let you have one book or one author yeah. and their books. Yeah. Who or what would you choose? I mean, it would have to be 
anything from the River Cafe. They're my really? yeah, I love their books and I love their cooking. And they one of their books was the very first book I I bought when I was sixteen, and I just have such a soft spot for that. So yeah, but I've got lots. Yeah, River Cafe do very beautiful cookbooks. Tell me, have has Plum or has Macmillan taken you to England? Do you do you are your books selling? There? Um, they they do, but they are more still via Australia. So yeah, if, if any British publishers are listening, <laughs> hello Waterstones. I think it is in Waterstones. James Dawn, CEO. <laughs> Just buy a truckload. You can buy them at Waterstones, actually. Yeah, I think they come, but they take a little bit of time, but um, that's okay. Oh, well, I hope the world does discover you, but then there's also a selfish part of me that, do, that doesn't want you to change. I love what you do, Julia. Thank I think you. you've really mastered this craft so beautifully, and being able to communicate the message about food is not always easy. There aren't a lot of cooks who and chefs who can do that successfully and you most certainly do. So thank you for all the joy that you've brought us. Thank you so much. And thank you for all the beautiful recipes. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait to see what you cook. Thank you, Julia Bazuto Nishimura. Thank you.